Okay, you ready, AP? Ready when you are. Let's lay this baby down. Lofty, you on the guitar, mate. You're right, Scope. Yep, standing by. Bertie, you on the bass? Yep, ready to go. All right, here we go then. One, two, three, four. Just two good old boys. Two good old boys. Never meeting no harm. Before he never saw the hand, no hair since the day they was born. Straighten the curves. Straighten the curves. Flatten the heels. The coffee might get them, but the Lord never will. For casting away the only way they know how. With a little more mojo than the Lord will allow. Everybody and welcome to the show. Welcome. We're well into season six. Things are rolling along nice and quickly as we proceed through the new season. If you're new to the show, what can you expect? Well, it's a little show that finds interesting people, people that we think have their mojo working in some aspect of their life. They're willing to share their story. We dig into it and find out why they have got their mojo working in or out of work. If you haven't yet subscribed, it's probably the best trick because then you don't miss any shows of any show you want to hear. Every Monday, we'll give you your dose of mojo, whether it be on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now even Spotify for the Mojo Radio Show, which is pretty cool. Let's do a quick roll call. Let's roll through the studio. The dulcet tones of one Andrew Peters. Are you present? I'm here, lovey boy. (laughs) In mind or body, do you mean? Play us a tune, would you? A bit of whispering (laughs) glass, lovey boy. (laughs) Let's not dwell. Uh, Do we have our transmission set to warp speed in the big red bus, Robo? Ah, she cannot take any more, Captain. (laughs) (laughs) That's a terrible impersonation. And our newest and favouritest new member, good morning, Lola. Hey there, big boy. Play us a song, Lola. Well, I'm not the world's most physical guy, but won't you squeeze me tight? You nearly broke my spine. I'm on my nose. La, 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 All right, so the gang is on board the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. Let's put down the hammer and hit the road. Ladies and gentlemen. If you are just tuning in, we are going to kick ass. Supreme. The Mojo Radio Show. So... Here's a new pop quiz hotshot. Lola, you better play pop quiz hotshot. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz hotshot. All right. 
hit me. So this is a new segment we're going to start. And these are, this is a combination of Pop Quiz Hotshot and Lesson of Rock. But you have to tell me who wrote these lyrics. So what are we going to call it then? Pop Lesson of Rock? Yeah, is that not, what it is? <laughs> well, kind of. It's not really a lesson. of. Well, it is kind of in a way. It's just a new okay. thing that I found because a lot of rock stars are poets and a lot of them in some respects you would say are philosophers. Others are just messed up rock and rollers who don't know what time of the day, what planet they're on, who just say interesting stuff. <laughs> so I'm going to read out the lyrics to a song. You've got to tell me who the artist is. Mm, okay. If I could kill a word and watch it die, I'd poison never, shoot goodbye. Beat regret when I felt I had the nerve. Yeah, I'd pound fear to a pile of sand. Choke lonely out with my bare hands. I'd hang hate so that it can't be heard if I could only kill a word. Anything? I have no idea. None whatsoever. And you wouldn't because it's country. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, I just figured we're into the new season and we've done nothing really to cover off the country and we've done the rock angle, we haven't done the country yeah. angle. So but That's not a lesson of rock. That's a lesson of country. Well, just wait. <laughs> just wait. There's a country rocker, a guy called Eric Church, who is a country rocker if you've ever taken oh, the time. there is such a thing. Yes, okay. And I will put a, I'll put a link to a YouTube clip of Eric who is a country rocker singing that song. But the thing I love about that, which I think at the start of a new season is really worth considering is what's a word that would you would refuse to use? You just don't give oxygen to that word. If you could take a word out of your vocabulary, what would it be? Because you hear people go, I can't, I should, I might, I'll try. But it's such an interesting exercise because the brain, not knowing the difference between what's real and what's imaginary, we program ourselves through our internal or external dialogue. And I, I say to people, I'm not a great believer in New Year's resolutions or things like that, but I do believe in erasing words from our vocab so that you don't give your brain something to hook onto or an excuse or a reason to get out of things. And I also think the reason I like this, those lyrics, apart from the fact it's country, is that when we think about kids and we're around kids, I don't think we consider our vocabulary for ourselves and what we say to kids around kids that kids then absorb. So I, it is kind of a lesson of rock, but it's also kind of a pop quiz because I'm going to have a series of these over the next few weeks to see exactly how, how well are you listening to your music. Okay. All right. So let's hear a few seconds of Eric Church. The song is called Killer Word. This was recorded live at Red Rocks, which is the clip that I'll put into the show notes for anybody who's interested. It really is a cool song. He is a super cool country artist. And if you like Keith, you'll love Eric Church. Um, Lola, can you play Eric Church's Killer Word, please? Playing that now. Put up, sit down in his place. He's the life out of disgrace. They over under six cold feet of if I could only kill Hi, I'm Maria Gronberg. I'm a 
climber. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro four times and summited Mount Everest this year of May. Oh man, I'm struggling through the Mojo Show. The Mojo Radio Show. So, on to our guest. Our guest this week on the line right now is Jennifer Jackson, who's the owner and director of an award-winning employee experience company. It's not something you hear very often, called Jackson. Jen helps business leaders really move beyond just the day-to-day status quo mediocrity in our workplace um, in order to share insights from the work that she's done around the world, guiding strategy and change management culture and leadership programs for some of the great leaders in our country and around the world. Now, she's worked for Nestle, McDonald's. Uh, do you remember Mattel, you know, the toy company Mattel? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, I've worked for McDonald's too, flipping burgers. Oh, I thought you were going to say, I've worked for McDonald's pushing up their share price. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she's also worked with Origin Energy and another brand you'll be very familiar with, which is Coca-Cola. So mm. Jen and her husband have just published a really good book, actually. It's called How to Speak Human, A Practical Guide to Getting the Best from Humans You Work With. And it's a really good book. I enjoyed reading it and I thought we should have a chat to Jen in the studio. So, Jennifer Jackson, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks for having me. So, Jen, when you meet people for the first time, quite often people say, what do you do? How do you like to reply? Oh, that's a nightmare question because it really depends who's asking. If it's somebody who's worked in corporate or um, a bigger business before, then it's an easy conversation. If it's any one of my relatives or someone who, you know, has worked in small business or tradie on the Gold Coast, it's a it's a nightmare question because, yeah, it is an emerging field that we're working in, um, which is employee experience. Um, so within the way I described it to my mum the other day was we help people communicate better. She's like, well, don't. Doesn't everyone just know how to do that? I'm like, we, surprisingly not. <laughs> we should all speak in mum language, the dumb it down language. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not dumbing it down, it's smartening it up. <laughs> well, that's kind of where I want to go with the book, but I'm just, uh, I think maybe we got the wrong Jennifer Jackson because we thought we had Jennifer Jackson, the 1965 Playmate of the Year. So maybe we've, uh, <laughs> and we called the wrong. Sorry, yeah, you've Googled uh, the wrong girl there. Um, but she was the first African-American Playmate. So I'm like, power to you, woman. Well, there you go. Robbo's got the poster on his wall still. I mean, yeah. he was only four years old at that time, but he's still got the poster up of, of Jennifer Jackson. <laughs> Are you kidding? Just call me Harvey, okay? Um, Harvey, just call okay. me Harvey. <laughs> so, Awkward. so, Jen, you describe yourself as a realistic idealist. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, it means that I believe that we can have it uh we can have it all in workplaces. Like you can actually go to work and you can enjoy your work and you can have great relationships with people and you can treat adults like adults and you know, go to work and find fulfillment in it. And that can also be good for business, good for profit, good for all the things that shareholders and boards care about. Um, the realist in me is that you can only um, do some things within the confines and the 
structures that you have. So it's sometimes step by step, day by day. So always an eye on the possibilities for the future and how we how we can make workplaces better. Um, but a realist that managers sometimes just have what they have. So what's the best we can do with that? So the book I've read, How mm-hmm. to Speak Human, that infers that we don't know how to speak human or do we know how to do it and we just don't do it? What's the premise behind Yeah, a bit of, bit of both in that. I think it's uh, twofold. So one is that we've forgotten how to do it in our workplaces because of all the things that have happened over the last couple of decades and the professionalism and the, the busyness and this whole facade of you go to work and you leave the personality at the door, which was drummed into us. Um, and it's also a case of we've, um, we're just moving into a new era now where we've got new generations coming up with different ways of speaking human. And when you've got five generations working side by side, there's a lot of well, more work that needs to be done to be understand what those different uh, ways of speaking human are so that we actually are all connecting in a really valuable way. When you started that answer, you used the word professional. And in the book, you said the word professional is synonymous with the death of hope. Tell me. <laughs> tell me That's quite dramatic, isn't it? <laughs> it is, but it's kind of interesting because you hear even companies who are trying to work out the values of the business, they'll use that word. Nobody really knows what it means, and they use it in the absence of having to work hard to find a betterer word, mm. which is a Queensland term for better. Um, yes, I know it well. <laughs> synonymous with the death of hope. Tell me, tell me your perspective <laughs> on that. Um, I think when you come back to the word professional and you get back to the roots of what it really means, it's belonging to a profession. And exactly how you said it before, have we done the work to really identify and understand what that means based on our current profession and how it's evolved over the years and and who you currently serve and who you're currently working with, as opposed to this blanket word profession, which gets thrown over everything, which to a lot of people means you can't have personality in it. There can't be humour. There can't be... um, you know, difference in it because if it's different, then that's a bit scary and then that means it could be wrong and then you might have legal breathing down your neck or you might be offending somebody. And so it just gets all painted, you know, with the same brush strokes and everything ends up being quite beige. So our definition of profession when we're working with a company or a leader is, well, tell me about your profession and what are those assumptions that we have about it and then let's have a look at busting some of those assumptions so that you can be developing your own tone of voice and your own way of communicating that you know, stands out and, and helps people feel like they're belonging to a culture and something that's different. Can I just pick up on something you said in there? How worried should we be about offending someone? Well, I think you should probably always be a bit worried about it. Here's my point. Here's my point. Like I might offend Gary because he might see something differently than I do. Like obviously I don't want to offend the world, but how, how, how much should I base my thoughts on my communication and all that sort of stuff on offending that small minority who I don't intend to offend, but just because of what I've said, I'm offending them. Yeah, yeah. It's a really important question and one that I think is very contextual in in 
which way you go about it. And depending on the depending on the type of organisation and the culture that you have and, uh, you know, to use that horrible word that is completely overused, but the journey that you it's been on to get from um, maybe a really bland and beige workplace to defining its own internal tone of voice and, and starting to communicate that across, then, yeah, it, it can be that you just go, you know what, I know I'm going to ruffle a few feathers here and then go for it. Um, but I think the golden rule is, is that if it's um, racist, <laughs> if it's offensive in any of those ways that, you know, most people know are inappropriate, then you don't go there and you search for other ways of going about it. Um, our experience has been that there's, as soon as there is something different, there's going to be people that complain about it and then that's when we like to have everyone armed up with the right arguments to take back to the board and say, well, why? You know, why is this incorrect? It's, it's uh, in our brand book. It doesn't say anything about using a comic or, or saying something in this way that might make people laugh but as soon as something's a bit different and scary then that's when the the fear sets in and we have the naysayers naysaying. Jen, George Bernard Shaw wrote that the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion illusion that it's it's taken place. place. (laughs) Do you find that many leaders and or boards or senior management teams, do you find that they actually have an illusion that what they're talking about has been understood and communicated correctly to the people around them? 100%. And I would, you know, probably think that the two of you have experienced before. I know I've certainly experienced with our team of 12 in that you think you've communicated something and then it's not until you turn around and realise, oh, yeah, that actually didn't sink in or that wasn't the right way of communicating it for that particular person. And, yeah, there is always an illusion that it has taken place, which is why getting quite strategic and about the different um, mediums you use, the channels you use, the the language that you use especially, um, to make sure that it's actually sinking in. And then to to use old Mr Simon Sinek's favourite starting with why is the biggest mistake that most people make in their communication as leaders to to not give everybody that understanding of this is why before I actually tell you what it is that we need to be doing or I want you to do. It's funny. One of the areas, Jen, that you talked about in the book, which I really liked, is you went down the traditional mission, vision, values. Now, every, well, so not every company, a lot of companies have them. Mm-hmm. Very few people, including the leader, the board, the senior management group, can ever repeat them back to you. So there seems to be a, a disjoint between the offsite that creates this stuff and then the actual power of having them. Yet in most companies, it seems to be wallpaper, like something that goes up on the toilet door or it goes into a business plan. But it's a bit like peeing in a wetsuit. Like it makes you feel warm and comfy, but no one cares or knows what's going on. Yet in the book, you talk about how it can be really powerful. And the thing I liked, which was an actionable thing that a leader could take away was creating a rhythm of communication around mission, vision, and values. Tell me, mm-hmm. tell me what a rhythm is. Well, the rhythm is the the rituals, the touch points, the um, the things that you build into your your rhythm of communication every day, week, fortnight, month, you know, year, career. Um, where are all those? 
um, points in time that you're mapping in going, these are the ones where we're going to be talking about these things and coming back to these things on a regular basis. Um, so the rhythm in embedding those things is super important. But before you even get to the rhythm, I would say that the language is far more powerful than than the rhythm because if you get the language right, then people will actually want to be involved and, and care a whole lot more. The problem with values is that, you know, we usually return to those defaults and if there's death by committee, then suddenly we all end up with excellence and respect and uh, care and safety. And yes, all those things are incredibly important, but they're in a language that could mean anything to anyone. And then again, when you come back to five different generations, what does respect mean to six-year-old Bob versus uh, 18-year-old um, I don't know, Lois, <laughs> and um, they mean incredibly different different things. So having um, having language that's far more evocative, um, that is more concrete in in the way that it forms a visual in your head, helps helps embed values um, much faster. And then, of course, the work really begins within that rhythm to go, how do we embed these on a, on a daily basis? How do these show up in our, in our meeting structures or how do they show up um, environmentally actually on our walls but not as that shitty little plaque that you know, sits in the corner? Do you have an example, Jen, of someone you've worked with or seen that has done a really good job of this? Like, is there a... Is there a company that you know of, regardless of what size they are, that have taken this notion and done it, executed really well? Yeah, there's lots. I mean, but you're putting me on the spot now of which ones I, I really, really like. I mean, Jackson actually have some really terrific values. <laughs> um, and so, well, how do you create the rhythm then? Let's just take you guys because yeah. you're spruiking it, in which case you've got to do it. So, totally, unless we're the plumber with the leaky tap. You know, that's that, it. That so that's, that, let's take that. <laughs> let's take the spot away and put the spotlight on to you guys, right? So let's yes, take Jackson as an example. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you've gone about simplifying the language, making it yep. relevant to your audience, your audience, which is your team, and then yeah. creating a rhythm over time. Yeah, great. So one of our values, so we, we do the creative things. We've got a, a creative team of animators and illustrators and designers. So creativity is a very obvious value that we could have gone with. Um, what we did, though, is that was a starting point for a discussion around what is creativity and what does it really mean to Jackson. So instead of just going, all right, yep, creativity, there's our value, chuck her on the wall. Um, yeah, we really dug into it. So what does creativity mean to us? It doesn't actually mean the output. It means the process of what you go through to get to a creative solution that surprises and delights people. Um, and it's that creative process that's the really important part because along the way there's – it's torturous. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched Mad Men, you know, the extent they go through, the amount of whiskey you have to get through to get to that perfect idea that just brings, you know, client strategy um, – corporate strategy together to connect with an audience. And so it's actually more about the thrill of the chase and the exploration. It's like a, a hound, like on the scent of a rabbit and you go down a rabbit hole to find that it's not there and then you have to come back up and go and find another rabbit hole. Um, so thrill of the chase is actually our value because to us it's embedding the behaviours that really make a difference, which is, yeah, you might get stuck, but that's 
good because that's all part of the process rather than it just being, hey, we're creative, look at the pretty paints and the glitter and all of those things because that's what's not important. So Thrill of the Chase is now um, we're actually, we've just expanded our office spaces. So one of our workrooms where a lot of um, our project strategy and creative strategy happens is branded Thrill of the Chase. And so our creative process is on the wall. It's the thing that you look at every day when you're having a coffee, when you're stuck, you come back to it. So, yeah, it's it's much, much bigger than just a value. It's It goes through the whole team and everyone believes it. And then our totem, of course, is a wolfhound. So, you know, there's a dog. And then we've got a cat's head for curiosity. And then we've got a panda's head for radical candor. So, <laughs> so the totem <laughs> is your visual representation of your values. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for us, we're all animal lovers. Um, some of us have children, which I guess are like small animals, um, but the rest of us have, you know, cats and dogs and horses and all the things. So, yeah, we've gone with uh, gone with animals for our totems and then have animal heads that make it along to our strategic off-sites and, um, you know, when a few drinks come out on Friday afternoons as well. This leads me to something <laughs> that uh, I've been pondering for a while. You, you yourself love art. So yeah. in your mind... Do you think that we as consumers, we as people, do you think we're becoming more visually literate, as in our expectations are that things will look beautiful, things will look nicer? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because even, even taking that notion of a totem is very different to just putting down an acronym and sticking it on a wall. So as you're talking through what you were doing, people could visualise in their mind a totem with different animals, animals represent things. Have you found in your work that the visual part of what people do is becoming more important in the marketplace? And then secondly, is that a really powerful thing for leaders to think about when they are selling their mission, vision and values to their team? Oh, that's a really interesting one. I know over the holidays, um, good friend of ours, Dr. Jason Fox, who I don't know if he's been on your podcast before, um, and his wife and my husband, we, we're travelling through Japan, and Japan to us is the, uh, it's like cross-training in holidays. You just get so inspired by all of the incredible minimalism and meaning that happens. But throughout the whole trip, like it was this question that we kept on coming back to around and it's such a wankery question as well. It's like, well, what is art? And, you know, what is art versus craft? And then art and craft versus design. And, it's, yeah, it's an interesting uh, question to, to pose. Um, I think we're getting more uh, the need for more art and more um visual representation of things is needed because it's getting harder to communicate in our workplaces because it is busier and it's harder to cut through. And what we know from all the the science is that when you do have a visual, it's much easier to literally be on the same page because you're entering into that third point communication where you've got the thing that you're both looking at and talking about. Um, We don't typically do that very well because it does require more effort and um, artists and design and including these sorts of team members in a 
in a you know typical corporate strategy team hasn't it, it doesn't really exist whereas i am starting to see that trend now where designers and people who are good at visualizing ideas are becoming a part of these teams from a much earlier um, earlier point in time like from the conception of you know, an initiative or an objective because people are starting to see the value of, oh, if we get somebody who can visualise these ideas, we know that we're going to have a much easier time selling this idea to the board or selling it to exec or selling it to the rest of the organisation. So it's, um, I don't know, did I answer the question there? <laughs> no, I reckon that's really cool because to, to think ahead, if you think a couple of steps ahead, so people have an offsite, grab people together, go into a room, hey, we think, I've read a couple of books, I think we need these things, let's put together a, a set of cultural mission, vision, values. But to think ahead, which I think so few people would do, to go, once we've got these things, what are we going to do, do with them? What do we do with them? And, <laughs> and how are we going to... They get back yeah. and they throw it on the shelf and then go, shit, what do we do with that? And that's it. And everyone's got them in their business plan. But it's how often you stand in front of an audience and ask them to repeat what the mission, vision, values are. And everyone mm. looks at the ceiling or goes, oh, it's something about ideas or I don't know, something. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, but yeah. To have somebody in the room who can actually sit there from the very start, which is what Steve Jobs would do when he was designing and creating, he would have somebody from every division of the business, even if the guy who was going to be doing the shipping wasn't involved yeah. until three, four months down the track, they would still be involved in the creation of the product because, and I think that's mm. an interesting idea to have someone who could visually say, let me sit through this whole thing and contribute, mm-hmm. but work out how we're going to then visually help that. Because we know that 45, 50% of any audience like yourself is quite visual. Yeah. I have never heard that done before. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, well, it's um, we're, we're starting to see more and more of it. And I know you've probably been to a conference lately where you'll have like the the graphic recorder recording the yeah. whole thing at the same time. Mm, and, mm. you know, at the end of it, you get that visual representation of what a speaker was talking about, which is great. And then that might get shared around the place. And I know I've been to a few off-sites lately where you know, we've brought somebody along to do that. And then afterwards, you can use some of those visual um, cues that might have popped up in that to um, to anchor ideas back to, you know, three months down the track. I think that's probably now what we're starting to see and seeing more of is the whole service design thinking industry and human-centred design, which is very much about from the get-go having somebody with that skill set to be involved and even you know if you're not an artist everyone's got the ability to draw a stick figure or to draw a box or to you know draw a flow chart in a in a much more visual right brain way rather than um, at the end of a meeting ending up with a spreadsheet of action items which you know is great but if that needs to then be communicated to a wider audience like you say that you know, visual is a much easier way of getting through and getting people involved, then why not? Well, we've done it here in the studio. So we we have taken that and the things that we value, we've got, got graphics for, which is we've drawn a Tim Tam and a Dos Equi and a Slappy Claw. So I think we are <laughs> definitely on the right track with the things that we value, which pretty much sums up our show, to be honest with you. What does the Tim Tam um, stand for? <laughs> <What's> Tim Tam? <laughs> 
Tim Tam stands for reward. <laughs> Does it? Chocolate, chocolate delight. Mm, chocolate. Is that a reward for you or Tim a reward Tim. for who you're interviewing? No, it's Robbo's. I can well, send you my address if you want. Oh, there we go. Yeah, Come yeah. on. So there we go. Now it's now it's out there. <laughs> now, our, just speaking of our show and being indulgent for a second, our show Please. is a little rock and roll. It's a little country with wonderful guests. And if I thought about the soundtrack for Robbo and I, when we started out in radio and we learnt about the workforce, the soundtrack for us would have definitely been Jimmy Barnes' Working Class Man, right, Robbo? Oh, yeah, definitely. Can you give us a couple of stanzas? I'm not sure how that goes. Probably to give our age away. It was probably a big hit at the time. (laughs) Yeah, let's just, we'll play a few bars for you. Um, Sing them, sing them. But it seems that today that that soundtrack is different for this generation. And the reason I say that, Jen, is that you quoted some work from Gallup who do a a global workplace engagement survey. And and this has been the same for the last couple of years. And they found that only 13% of the workforce are truly engaged. Now, engaged for them means that people buy into the, the, the direction of the company, buy into the mission, what we're doing, the values. They love going to work. And put in the discretionary effort. Yeah, 13%. And that means that almost a billion people are working globally <laughs> just going through the motions. They're a bit more Huey yeah. Lewis, I want a new job. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> That's the question. Less Zeppelin, dazed and confused. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that is, what is, what, is, what is the soundtrack for today's generation, Jen? Put us the picture. It used to be working class man, you go to work, you work really hard, you save your money, you buy a home, put your money in the bank. And you do it all because you're a working class man getting it done. Today, it seems the soundtrack has changed. What do you think today's soundtrack is? Oh, it's probably like some Jeff Mills techno number, is it? You know, like maybe it's all just a bit bit hard and fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is it? How are they seeing um, it? How how is today's generation seeing work? Because they're they're seeing it differently, aren't they? Obviously, with 13% being engaged. Yes. How do they see it today? Well, they're seeing it as as more of a oh, some sort of wooing love ballad, isn't it? It's uh, we want um, a company to want us as much as we want them. So, what are you going to do to include um, yourself in my life? <laughs> so, what sort of experience are you going to be creating for me that actually makes sense with the rest of my my life goals? Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's probably more a love love ballad. Than a I've got it because Queens, we want it all. I want it all. Queens, I want <laughs> oh, it all. Oh no way! I, I want think that's a little it too all. Harsh. I want it all. <laughs> Rest in peace. I Freddy. want it now. <laughs> uh, maybe go back to working class man. I think uh, the tenor of your voices would now, that a little. I want to go back before we started singing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, you can edit this. So, um, good luck with that. <laughs> Jen, one of my favourite stanzas in the book reminded me of a, a recent guest we had called Ray Cash Care, who was a Navy SEAL and is known as, his identity is he's the decimator. This is something that Ray Cash Care would say, consistency, 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 grenade. <laughs> Tell me about rituals and routines. 
<laughs> consistency, 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 grenade. Um, that would have come from the habituation chapter where we were talking about, um, yeah, it's great to have consistency, but if you want people to keep attentive and to, to tune back in with what you're saying, then, uh, yeah, you've got to throw that little grenade in to break up that um you know, everyday monotony of going to work and doing the same things or seeing the same things. Um, so humans are by nature attracted to something that is new and shiny. Um, from a, uh, like a, a rituals and if we've, we've got our rhythm of communication happening and we've got our, our weekly meetings happening, um, you know, it only takes probably a couple of months before that weekly meeting starts to become a bit of a drag and everyone's kind of, you know, shuffling their feet and going through the motions and and you can feel the energies change from those first few times when something new was introduced. So the whole consistency, consistency, consistency grenade action comes in when every now and then you go, all right, let's change things up. What's working? What's not working? So for us, we've got our um, FOMOMI, which is our Friday morning meeting. Started out being a Monday morning meeting, so a MOMO me, but then we moved it to a Friday, so we're getting started for the week and then just kept the F, uh, kept the O, changed the F. So now it doesn't make any sense and this is a complete sidetrack. Anyway, the FOMOMI has just now started getting to this stage of six months in where it feels like it's dragging its heels. So this Friday, we're changing things up. We're having an all-in for it. We've got some catering coming and we're going to redesign how we go through our client projects for the next month. Um, and everyone's excited about it again. <laughs> everyone's starting to think about, oh, yeah, we should drop that and do this. Let's introduce this. You know, my big thing is I want to start introducing um, project lead budget tracking, which everyone's gone to. But, you know, <laughs> it's um, an opportunity to freshen things up and redesign the way we work to make sense for who we are now and how we've evolved. Sun Tzu, who wrote the famous business military strategy book, The Art of War, says that one of the most important things is for us to know the enemy. In your mind, who is the enemy in our day-to-day? -day? Is it habituation? Is that the word how to pronounce it? Habituate, habituation. Habituation. <laughs> is habituation the enemy of our success? Are they, is that what is, is clouding our day-to-day? -day? Oh, I think there's a, there's a few enemies in the way of, of great communication that communication – you know, when I say great communication, it's communication that um, makes a relationship stronger. Um, so I think one of them is habituation, which is, you know, come about because we, oh, for so many reasons, and I will pull out a soapbox and stand on it and start talking about internal comms and brand books that, you know, make everything the same colour and make us, you know, do everything the same font with the same style. So literally you walk past it and you don't see it anymore. Um, that is one of the things. Um, the other one is the whole professionalism um, argument that we have to do things a certain way, um, not because we belong to that profession, but because we think that's what professionalism means. Um, and then you've got legal or you've got the, the naysayers or the committees and the boards that death by committee, any good idea, so it all comes back to that same old beige, 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 and then people don't see it, hear it, listen to it anymore. Um, and I think one of the other enemies we have is that we're still kind of, this is probably going out on another tangent here, is that we still have this um, 
belief that we can kind of conquer change and that if we could just uh, do a little bit more or, or make this happen a bit faster, then we'd have a bit more time. Whereas, I, you know, hopefully we're starting to realise that change is the inevitable, change is the constant, it's just going to keep on moving. So let's not try and conquer it, but let's just try and swim with it a little bit more um, and that has to start in in the mindsets that we're bringing to work that yeah this is evolving and cool <laughs> what are the different tools and approaches we can take to make that a whole lot easier for ourselves and our teams is one of those things taking notes Jen and I know being a visual person you love your art and you're talking about getting communication that actually is shared meaning with your team. And I'm just wondering, there was an interesting book called uh, Moonwalking with Einstein. And one of the comments that the author made was that learning is remembering. Are you a believer in note-taking and journals and meetings to create a proper learning environment rather than just a meeting environment? For me personally, I have to take notes. I'm, if I'm not writing and, and doodling and, and jumping up and drawing on whiteboards, then it's it's not going in as quickly as it would if I was just sitting there. Um, I think it's very individual though, and there's been a lot of argy-bargy around you know, sensory learning and is it is it all a farce or is there something in it? You know, are some people you know, auditory learners, are others visual learners, um, kinesthetic but um, I think that when you come back to the science of of humans and how we perceive the world and we are visual learners, you know, there's so much information that we take in every day and that our brain makes sense that we're, we're visual processing machines. So adding a visual into any of your communication, into your meetings is going to embed a whole lot faster to anyone. Even if it's not there as a as a learning device, but as a um, as a like a relationship building device or a cultural connection device. I see many leaders stand in front of their teams, and they have to open a conference or they have to open a meeting. They've put no thought into it, and so they talk for twenty minutes and make things sound really complex, so mm-hmm. that people think that they're a lot smarter. <laughs> and they know what they're talking about and they know what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. In the book, you talk about great leaders take complexity and simplify it to, to such a degree that it makes sense to the people who they're sharing it with mm. in order to get true engagement and buy-in. Yeah. It seems like such an important tool for leaders, Jen, but you don't hear it talked about a lot apart from in your book, obviously, mm. which is good. Can you expand upon, yeah. you know, this, this notion of complexity and simplicity? Yeah, yeah. And another one that lots of debates and conversations about with with friends. So it's, um, it's not about – so we talk about making the complex simple um, and then the, the conversation you get into is around, well – but life is complex, you know, work is complex. Some things are just plain complex and there's no way about it. But there's a difference between complexity and confusion and a lot of the time um, we're not working hard enough to eliminate the confusion from things. So, you know, when you think about Google, that incredible, you know, word that is now synonymous with search, uh, you go onto that page and there's 
so so much going on behind just a simple white page with a with a search bar um but we often underestimate the complexity of things when they're really well designed um so when you talk about a leader and and a leader having that ability to regardless of who that audience is it's it's understanding the content enough to then pick out what are the things that would matter to this audience and it might not that they need to know the entire workings of the organisational structure and the mergers that are happening with the Asia-Pacific region and all of that. They just need to know from what all of that is about, what matters to me, and then once they've understood and taken on that bit of information, then maybe they're ready for more. So some people call it dumbing it down, which I really take offence to because that's, you know, it's... People are doing what they do in the jobs that they do and are the you know, experts of their own domain. Um, but we don't all have time to be you know, experts of everything. So a leader's job is to understand what matters to this person and then that's you know, the simplest way of simplifying complexity because you're not having to give them the whole cow, you just give them the tail, whatever makes sense. See, that was my farm girl roots coming out then with a bit of a cow analogy. No, it's, it's interesting with this with <laughs> communication, Jen, because it's, it was said that last year LinkedIn reported that 70% of their 400 million users were passive job seekers, which meant they had one eye on the exit sign. Wow. Now, that's got to be daunting for anybody who runs a business to know that 70%, 400 million people on, on LinkedIn, seven out of 10 people are looking for the next gig. With all you've learnt, you see, and with writing the book, what's, what are the primary things a leader should be focused on to ensure that they're not part of those statistics? Great relationships with their team. Um, and then as they get bigger and you can't have that one-on-one relationship with every single person, um, having great relationships with your leaders who and encouraging and, and coaching them on how to develop better human relationships with their team. Um, people have an eye on the exit sign because they don't feel like they're being valued in the job that they're at and value is more than just what they're getting paid, but it's value is, you know, are they being thanked for their work? <laughs> I don't know if you guys go through the whole Mad Men thing, watch the series of that. Yeah, there's a there's an episode in that where Don's talking to Peggy and, and Peggy's like, but you never say thank you. And he yells back at her, that's what the money's for. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just a completely different um, way of thinking about building a business that, you know, we give you the money, you give me the ideas and see you later. Um you know, so beyond the value of money, people want to know that they're contributing and that they're, you know, even visibly able to see how their contribution makes a difference. So helping leaders um, and helping leaders help other leaders get better at that and connecting people with purpose and um, understanding what their uh yeah, what their hopes and dreams are outside of work as well and making them feel valued as people rather than, you know, a cog or a, do you ever use that word, resource, um, then, yeah, that's that's going to go a long way to helping lower those. Something you talked about in the book was, and I love the terminology, jargoned, laden, long, tedious meetings and endless <laughs> scrolling emails padded with waffle. <laughs> it's funny, Jeb, because you go through, I'm hoping that leaders who run an organisation with one person, 10 people or 1,000 people are going through and making notes on this because 
That's something you could all you could you could do an audit on in yourself and in your meetings. Jargon laden long tedious meetings, yes or no. <laughs> Endless scrolling emails padded with waffle, yes or no. It's sad, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And it's jargon's one of those uh wonderful wonderful things that lots of people are already aware of and talk about and laugh about and there's you know jargon generators out there where you can type something in and then it spits out you know what the jargon for it is for um we've developed a game called jargon which is all aimed to help leaders get rid of the jargon so jargon see what we did there um (laughs) but jargon it it can be something that helps you feel like you're part of a team because you're you're in on it, but it can also make you feel incredibly excluded if you're new or you're um, involved in that team environment for the first time. So you've got to be really careful about it. Um, and ultimately, it's like, why are you using the jargon? Is it because you want to appear smarter um, and you're not? <laughs> Or is it that uh, you're just being a bit lazy and you're you're not considering the audience and, um, you know, just simplifying the language and speaking human? Or you don't know your stuff. Yeah. In which case you use a whole lot of jargon and cliches to make you sound smarter, which is the Queensland term for smart. Yeah. Um, And that's – it happens so often and I actually love being that really annoying person in a meeting going, yeah, I don't know what bottom draw blue sky – top level alignment thinking is could we just run that back and try again <laughs> i went to an awards night recently and uh did you win i know were, no no i was hosting and, and doing a oh, speech okay. there jen and um but it was really interesting that of the 10 there might have been 10 awards given how similar these are all young legends uh in marketing and brand how similar the language was, how similar the terminology was, and it was all marketing cliches. And that's uh, exactly as you're saying. And it just makes me wonder how much depth is behind these people when they don't they just don't speak human. They just don't talk. They yeah. say what they think they should say as opposed to see, saying what's in them and talking with me instead of at me. It's uh, I think it's such yeah. an important tool because the great leaders that I've met just talk to you. Yeah. A simple thing you can do to um, start to eliminate the jargon is get a, get a jar. And you know how you have a swear jar? Well, you just have a jargon jar. So a jar. And then jar- if oh, anyone ever says I any jargon, we've done it again. Yeah. Um, if anyone says jargon, then you, you have to write it down on a little note and then you put it in. And then at the end of the quarter, whoever's said the most jargon has to buy everybody else lunch. We could do that. <laughs> now, just to, before I hand it Robert for the big question, just a question for you, mm. Jen, based on your trip to Japan. Mm. And this is an off-ramp. We weren't going to go there, but I just want to, I'm interested. Uh, are you a Marie Kondo fan? Are you a Kondo-ite? <laughs> so Jason and Kim, who we were travelling with, huge. What are they called? Are they calling them Kondites? Is that, is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, Kondites, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So massive Kondites. Um I feel like so. I'm married to probably someone who could out Marie Kondo, Marie Kondo. Um, really, so, Dukes? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, Dukes, wow. Co-author of the book. He's the one that comes up with all the really clever, clever language. Um, yeah, he's a he's a neat freak to the point of wanting to punch him in the face some days. Um, <laughs> like you know, walk in, put your bag down, turn around. Where is it? I put it away in the cupboard and it's completely unpacked and now it's going to take you 10 minutes to repack it so you can walk out the door again. Like, he's crazy. I'd like to meet him. (laughs) 
Yeah, you can't have him. <laughs> God, he sounds like a carbon clone of Bert Whistle. Seriously. Yeah, just to explain, <laughs> really? Marie Kondo has now got a series on Netflix, which is very, very good. And I did Marie watch Kondo. One I, I've, I've, yeah, I, I think I'm halfway through the series. Um, yeah. It's a very, the psychology. So Marie Kondo wrote a book called The Life Changing Magic of Tidying. Yes. And she now has a series on Netflix called Tidying, I think it's called. And she has a system called KonMarie, which is about tidying. And this little Jap- cute Japanese girl loves mess. Mm-hmm. And, she is changing lives through helping people get rid of the clutter to get down to what's really important. And it is a, an extension of minimalism, which is nice in context, but she gives you a system for doing it. And it is quite fascinating through the series how it does change the whole psychology of the life of the people she's working with. Uh, wow. So I think Dukes is onto it. I think we should definitely have a beer with Dukes to talk about this because I think he and I would just be simpatico. <laughs> That was amazing. I watched that show that you're talking about one day and my 15-year-old son walked into the room. This is without, a sh- <laughs> without, a, without no bullshit. He walked into the room, looked at the television, looked at me, laughed and walked out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's like, there goes dad and he's fetishes again. So not me and so not a 15-year-old son either, can I tell you. I'm telling you, oh, there's funny. something in it, and <laughs> I think you've just absolutely nailed the the right now zeitgeist analogy for what we do. We help remove the clutter, and it changes the psychology and how you think about things, so you can actually do what matters most. It's genius. Yeah, it is, and it's and, and her thanks, guys. Being a uh, being a Conmarie uh, fan. Which, to really put it in human speak for everybody else listening, that means that Gary folds his underwear three times and stacks them vertically. (laughs) Done. Tick. Can he get tidy whities folded three times? (laughs) Tick. (laughs) I'm telling you, and what happens is what you do, you end up coming down to does it bring joy? And it's funny, you know. Uh, can we stop talking about your underwear now, please? Come on. Let's see, I've got this bad mental picture. <laughs> because when you finish with them, he has to kiss them. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You bring it right back to the start. If you were an executive running an organisation and you went through the organisation and truly looked at your, your team and said, is what we're doing bringing joy? Is our communication bringing joy? Is, do they have the resources for them to bring joy from their work? It sounds, the Conmarie system sounds weird, but taken to its extent, it really nails all the stuff you're talking about because it's down to how to get to speak human. Human's about, well, what brings you joy and what's important to you and what's not. Yeah, I love it. Take that. (laughs) And then, you know, and when you're talking about joy, it is one of those words that can mean different things to you from people. So you're talking to the board and it's like, what brings us joy? All the monies. If you're talking to someone on the front line, more time and better conditions and feeling like you value me. So, yes, this can work. That would be an interesting question, isn't it? You talk about the one-to-ones, sitting with team members and saying to them what does bring you joy and then shutting the hell up and letting them answer would be a big insight into, well, what does their world look like? Because we went back to Jimmy Barnes, working class man. My dad, it was all about work. You're a company man. Yeah. Today, you're not. Well, then if yeah. you're not just a company man 
or woman, and you've got something outside, what are the other things that bring you joy? It's um, anyway, I've taken an off ramp. I take yeah, you way like down a, a Japanese like folding. Not thinking about you and your tidy whities brings me joy. So we've got you sufficiently warmed up. I, in fact, I've got to say, Jen, that I think all these questions are being completely off the cuff and random because I was expecting to be interviewing a Playmate of the Year, so I had a whole different <laughs> line of questioning that I was going to go down. But um, seeing as like I'd be, it's just Robbo, he's getting on, he doesn't have the eyes he used to have, he rang the wrong number. But I think you, yeah. you still were very interesting. Um, right. Thanks. To finish this up, uh, <laughs> yeah, great, thanks. Yeah. Uh, Robbo, how about we do a nifty ninety? No, I think it's nifty ninety time. Oh, yeah. Gosh, I'm nervous. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Robbo's nifty ninety. All right, so Jen, you ready? Will we start the clock? Let's do it. All right. What's the last song you bought from iTunes? I don't use iTunes. I'm a Spotify girl. Okay. What's the last song you down? What's the last song you played on Spotify? Something by Led Zeppelin. No, actually, it was Beethoven's Sonata Number Five, Opus Whoa, Something. Varied. Yes. There you go. All right. You're uh, very posh. What's your indulgence, favourite indulgence, bacon or Tim Tams? Oh, bacon Tim Tams. Bacon Tim Tams. Awesome. Together, that would be a match made in heaven. A girl after my own heart. <laughs> Jesus. I'll tell you what. What's something that pisses you off the most? People saying no straight away. Uh, your favourite outdoor activity? Snowboarding. Finish this sentence. I never get tired of... Taking a long bath. Uh, something you don't want to regret, regret after you're gone? Having a really good go at it, if you whatever could, it may be. <laughs> if you could have a plane ticket to anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? Uh, central Hokkaido to Mount Tokachi National Park and strap a slipboard on my feet and head up a mountain. The best moment of your life to date outside of getting married and kids and all the rest of it? Getting Jackson to where it is. And your favourite place to read a book? In the bath. And the big question... You wake up in the morning, you jump out of bed, go downstairs, make a cup of coffee, but the mojo's just not quite working. What's the, uh, what's the song you go to on Spotify to get your day kick-started? Uh, something by R2-D2. Star Wars? <laughs> R2-D2, what's that? This sounds like Lola. R-J-D2. Yes. So it, it's like my snowboarding mix. It's the it's the music that like we're playing before while we're like gearing up for the day, and it just ah. really, yeah. Okay, there you go. Like. See you. You, you, you in our genre talking about Jimmy Barnes and Led Zeppelin. You go there, and Gary and I go. What the? <laughs> it's it's hip hop, guys. Come on. Nice. Okay. Okay. We better play some. We better play we'll some. Someone. So, Jen, uh, the book is called How to Speak Human, A Practical Guide to Getting the Best from the Humans You Work With. It's out from Wiley. Uh, I've got to say, just as a, as a compliment to Dukes, who I think I would get on real well with, um, but he, the, if he did the majority of the writing or is the guy who put the writing, it's very, very well written. There's a, it's a very enjoyable read. It's got, it's got gold in content. It's usable. It's practical. I... Um, I think it's very well done. Congrats. Where, where do people oh, go to find out about the book and you guys and Jackson and what's the hub? Yeah, well, howtospeakhuman.com.au uh, is online. Uh, you can grab the book in any good bookstore. Uh, and uh, 
Jackson, J-A-X-Z-Y-N.com is where you can find out more about what we do. It's been a real delight. We uh, The thing we love most about the show is the stuff that we can learn and take away, but also that people get to meet because back in our day, if we went back a ways, media didn't afford us the same opportunities they do today to meet great people. So we really appreciate your time, really appreciate your sharing, uh, love the stuff you're doing, and um, thank you. That is by far the best podcast ever, like questions and formats. You guys are nailing it. Well done. The Mojo Radio Show. You know what? That would never work around here. Speaking human, I mean. <laughs> what? You mean with AP and Lola? Yeah, exactly. We're in big trouble from the start. <laughs> You'd have to speak gibberish to start with and uh, you have to be able to slur your words. But um, yeah. it's interesting. At the head of the show, as we say in the business, we talked about country. Mm. And I know that you've got a favourite country song which is being covered by a couple of iconic Aussies. Well, it's probably a favourite song, not so much because it's a country song, but just because of the guy and the gal who were singing it because they're probably two of my favourite vocalists who have ever walked the planet. But um, it's a little-known version of a well-known tune. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a tad clichéd, but it is a cracking song. It is. It's a Johnny Cash song called Jackson, but... um, It's a little-known version of the song. It's actually Michael Hutchins and a lady who at the time was one of Inexcess's backing vocalists, a lady called Jenny Morris, who went on to have her own solo career. Um, I'm not sure why they recorded it. I have no reason, I have no idea when they recorded it. It's just a great, fun version of a really cool song and I thought it had a nice little link back to our interview today. Lola, play Jenny Morris, Michael Hutchins. Jackson. I'm on it. And we're up. Fire didn't go out. We got mad in a fever. Hotter than a pepper sprout. We've been talking about Jackson ever since the fire went out. I'm going to Jackson. I'm going to mess around. Yeah, I'm going to Jackson Look out, Jackson Town Go on down to Jackson Go ahead and wreck your health Go play your hand, you big talking man Make a big fool of yourself Yeah, yeah, go to Jackson But don't go mad here I'm going to snowball Jackson I'll go ahead and see if I care When I breeze into that city People gonna stoop and bow All them women gonna make me Teach them what they don't know how I'm gonna Jackson Turn loose my coat Yeah, I'm gonna Jackson Goodbye, that's all she wrote
talking man And I'll be waiting there in Jackson Behind my jade pant land We've got mad in a fever Hotter than a pepper sprout We've been talking about Jackson Ever since the falling out Oh Jackson Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out VoodooSound.com.au and for the right voice, RealtimeCasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.